Rest is for the weary. Sleep is for the dead. Welcome to the Hoovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm Jeremy. I'm other Jeremy. And Colin's in town. And tonight we're going to jump all the way to 1985 and Haley's comment. And we're actually going to be talking about Attack of the Cybermen today. I decided to do that because today actually marks Nicola Bryant's birthday. So I figured, let's do a Perry story. Why not go back and do one that we hadn't done yet? And quite interestingly enough, this was written by someone named Paula Moore. Although there was no Paula Moore, at least not as a writer. So most people think that this was actually written by Eric Sayward, the then script editor. And the only way that they could get away with it at the time was, well, he had to choose a different name or different person to give credit to. Why? Well, because the script editor uh, editors for the BBC could not write for their programs. They had to just edit, that because otherwise they'd be kind of leaving their job description, per se. <laughs> it was just the way they did it back then. Although there's also conflicting reports as to who actually wrote this, because there are also reports that Ian Levine, who is known for discovering a lot of old Doctor Who episodes, also contributed to the writing of the story. Uh, whether he did or not... We'll never know. All I know is that it very much has a lot of Eric Sayward kind of motifs involved in this one. Is it possible that it really was written by someone named Paula who didn't write anything before or after? It, unlikely, because uh, it's supposed to be a pseudonym for the actual writer. Must just be a story so good no one wanted to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, but basically, um, this is a sequel to two stories, which makes it interesting because not only is it a sequel to the Patrick Troughton story, Tomb of the Cybermen, which deals with cyber control, but it also is a uh, sequel to the fifth Doctor story, Resurrection of the Daleks, which introduced us to Commander Lytton at the time. Now, Commander Lytton was working for the Daleks, so he's kind of more of a baddie in that particular story. Um, but... Uh, here we have a little bit different motif for him. Yeah, he's pretending to be, you know, working for the Cybermen. But in fact, he's not. So, anyway. But, I mean, you know, it's not really that different of a characterization because, again, he's working for whoever gives him the most money. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it really is. Well, but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, the, at, at the end, I think that we have see some redemption, you know? His, his life is on the line. He still doesn't give up the secret. He has a... Is a code of honor behind, you know, at least but what he's. That could be just a, a good bounty. He's hunter. lawful evil. That could to get be into. well. No, that could just be a good like bounty hunter rule. Like, who is going to hire you if you're willing to give up during an, inter an interrogation sort of scenario? That's how I read that. Like, I, I would never. That might be fair, but it just seems like that's such an imminent death situation. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it, it surprises me of the move. Like, I feel like if you have a lack of integrity and you're looking to save yourself, and there's a chance to do that, you know, you'll you'll squeal to the high heavens. Although, to be fair, he does give the two million uh, pounds and diamonds to uh, Griffiths, who, uh, of course, he's trying to get to do something good in his life. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't right, think that's really like, fair, though, because it sounds like it's just trash of the planet. It'd be like if I went out and like got a bunch of leaves like from <laughs> like from a corner, and there was another alien here, like, here, risk your life for me for these precious leaves. And also, it kind of seemed like very consistently throughout this whole story, he was like, money is the only motivator. You all should continue to work for me because I'm giving you the most money. You shouldn't be asking me questions because I'm paying you a lot. Here, come onto this alien planet and risk your life. It's okay because I'm giving you, they're giving you diamonds for it. Like, he clearly is very motivated by money and projects that on everyone else. Or at least he's trying to get everybody else to be motivated by money. And I think in this particular case, he does... A, a rather effective job of not telling them what the heck's going on, which is kind of important because he even says to Griffiths, well, they're with the cryons. Well, <laughs> you don't really, you would never have done this if uh, I had told you exactly what was going on, would you? And of course, Griffiths says, no. <laughs> yeah, he's a confidence man, you know, in addition to his, you know, other criminality. Now, in the first episode, we actually see Terry Malloy play um, a ca- character named Russell. Well, actually, hang on, before we move off of Linton, I just wanted to oh. pose a question to the group. Uh, why do we think he didn't say anything to the doctor about being, you know, on the side of the good oh, guys? I, I, I put that the fact that he was still undercover. Like, he was still, it was still, he was still within the the role he had to portray. And you don't give that up, even if, well, for one, let's just realize one thing. He knows about the doctor. Is the doctor known for not talking? <laughs> good point. Yeah, in past that, I, I think there's a lot of potential conflicts of interest here, too. Like, not necessarily the whole time, but if push comes to shove, you know, what are they going to, what is he going to want to do with the TARDIS? What, the, what is the doctor going to want to do? Well, you also have to remember that Lytton was nece- not necessarily on the side of good the last time. So him saying anything to the doctor, is the doctor really going to believe him in the first place? Mm-hmm. And Lytton's smart enough to understand that that's probably not going to be the case. So, and I do, I would say, I think Maurice Colburn, who plays Lytton, is probably one of the greater characters from classic Doctor Who. Um, he was definitely interesting and definitely had a decent character arc. Yeah, and I yeah, thought that... Yeah, character. Colin Baker at the end, when he was reacting to it, and he was like, why didn't he say anything and couldn't save him? Like, that was some high-quality acting there. It was, it was a great scene. It was a good scene. I think it sh- this actually should have been Colin Baker's first story. <laughs> which was miles better than his other first story. Um, but this is the first story of season 22. So it's kind of like a new beginning. It actually had decent um, uh, appreciation figures, but it also had really good um, viewing figures at the time. So I don't know. I think this would have been a better start for any Doctor. And we had so many extra things in here like I was about to say Russell who's played by Terry Malloy that's Davros but in human form um, that was kind of a nod to other past characterizations you've also got um, 
uh, Lytton's two uh, policemen henchmen that were in Resurrection of the Dogs that show up and create kind of a fun little motif. And they even use the musical cues from Resurrection of the Daleks in this story to make you remember, oh, yeah, that's right. I We just saw this story only three stories back. So, oh, yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, there's some nods to the past. You've, of course, got the nods to Tomb of the Cybermen because it is a direct sequel. Unfortunately, the overall look for the story doesn't quite match Tomb of the Cybermen. But again, this is 1985 versus 1967. I think there might be a slight discrepancy and they probably didn't have those sets any longer. Funny enough, though, the Cyber Controller was played by Michael Kagariff, who played the Cyber Controller back in 1967, which is why he looked a little bit more uh, around the, around the uh, waist there. Listen, at a certain age, you just gotta relax some, enjoy an extra cheeseburger as a Cyberman, that's all. <laughs> as the Cyber Controller, he needs all of those extra wires for his control. Yeah. Oh, think, yeah, there you go. <laughs> think about how much extra RAM you can fit in there. <laughs> Something obviously happened before and between the two stories. He was upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> follows completely with the philosophy. I, uh, he ate the other Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I remember the first episode, though, um, they tackled the chameleon circuit to a certain extent and made the TARDIS transform into a few different objects. That yeah. shocked me, by the way. As someone who's been watching Dark 2 for a very long time now, it's like, wait, it, 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 it worked? It worked at a point? I mean, worked is a subjective phrase at this point. I mean, you're in the junkyard, and what was that for? Was that like a... Kitchen cabinet thing? Yeah. Okay, but the organ was awesome. The organ was awesome because it was functional. It yeah. was, yeah. But it didn't quite match its surroundings. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, but it was a playable organ, and that's pretty impressive. I mean, it was definitely an Earth-like thing. I mean, my vehicle can't turn into an organ. No, and I will say, the Sixth Doctor is the only Doctor that actually gets the TARDIS to change its shape. If the TARDIS was to be stuck in another form, which form would you want it to be stuck in? Because personally, I would want it to match his coat, be something ridiculously colorful like that. I'd like it to be a <laughs> giant black dress. Dragon. Live or statue or I, I don't know. If it can be live, I mean Tardises are live already. I don't I don't see why it can't have a little movement. Probably maybe in a mechanical oh, okay. dragon. If it needs to be mechanical and, and fine. <laughs> I can meet you in the middle of saying a giant rubber ducky, that might be more on the doctor's <laughs> lane. Jeremy, what would you say? I'm stuck between a pub, uh, a portable a porta potty <laughs> and and just a very nice old-fashioned closet, like I mean, wardrobe. I think like, you know, I, I, I was thinking outhouse or phone booth, mm. like the red phone booths from yeah. England. Yeah, I think you know if you really wanted to plan for like versatility and covert ops or something, probably could just like more or less be like a rock. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> a rock, or or even Bill and Ted's. Uh, sort of phone booth that they used to time travel. I kind of like Shelby's idea of just like uh, the British uh, phone booth. It's like, it's a nod to the other one, but you know, still works. Or you could just also, go with a... Also, nod to Inspector Space Time. 
just throwing that out there. Well, you know, um, the Magic School Bus was always thought to have been a TARDIS, and uh, was it always thought to have been a TARDIS? I never <laughs> well, it has been for quite a while. Well, I mean, Miss Frizzle or... being a time late, no, by a lot of other people. The TARDIS really like confronts with dimensions. Like it could really just be like a flat rock that just like is a hatch that you open up and walk down the stairs. You know, mm. it doesn't need to be. It bothered me that the door That's moved off. to the other side of it when it changed. Oh. Well, I mean, we didn't know what the front was anymore at that point, I guess. But you're right. It, it did move to the... To the back, was, yeah. Yeah, so they didn't have to show us the back. I know, but they could have walked... The they could have walked out... Like, the TARDIS could have been facing the other way. They could have walked out the door on that side to begin with. It also turned into a gate. So what would the other side of the gate be like? Because there is an end to that corridor. Is there, like, the other corridor beside that? It, it, Actually, I thought it was kind of, like, a fun... Like, it made me smile. It's like, oh, you know, the door's... Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the problem with the organ, too. Mm. Where do you exact? Where exactly do you enter? The pipes. Well, you, you, what you do is you go into the back of the organ where the actual, like, I would imagine where one of the maintenance portions would be, and there's got to be a door somewhere for that. If it, if it, if it were me, I'd probably go and, and cross it over with some other franchise, and you could have, like, Optimus Prime be your TARDIS or... I don't know something something really cool. You could have fireflies, Serenity, be your TARDIS. That would be kind of cool. The DeLorean. Well, that's kind of too obvious, but yeah. <laughs> There's so many Dracula's things. Dracula's Castle. There, it should just be an advertisement for the Whovian Review podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, <clears throat> that would be an interesting thing. Uh, just a leaflet. No, a billboard. You want to have a nice yeah, billboard? Oh yeah, that would make more sense. Because then you can actually probably have a door mm-hmm. somewhere. Where would you put the door? The back? The back. You yeah. know what would be a fun uh, shape for the TARDIS? Ooh. A window. A window just, like, suspended in the air. And if you go, th- like, through the window frame, you'll go into the TARDIS. But if you go around the window, you'll just it'll just be a window. <laughs> <laughs> that actually but might What are you sense. seeing? Like, What are you seeing through the window? Yeah, on, like, both sides. No, it, it, you see the other side of, like, uh, what's on the other side of the TARDIS. Like, you just see through it as if the TARDIS isn't there, but once you walk through the window, you're inside. Okay. That's or if you just... open the window, then you see the inside of the TARDIS. But if you close the window, you see what's on the other side of the window. That would also be acceptable. Better yet, if Makes the sense. TARDIS was, like, a street sign, instead of a stop sign, it would be a go sign. It'd be people. No, no, it would be one of those stop signs that's green. <laughs> <laughs> or blue. Oh, it blends in perfectly. Hopefully people won't run over it. I don't know what consequences that might have. I will like to point out that the guy who plays Griffiths uh, is played by Brian Glover. He's actually pretty well known in movie circles. Uh, he's He actually starred alongside another doctor, Paul McGann, in Alien 3. Wow, the cast was stacked in this one. Yeah, well, they had a good, they had a decent cast. I mean, and I thought the cryons were actually quite fascinating. I The costumes were interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't quite understand the reason why they, they actually had to hide their faces. I mean, when they went and cast all the cryons, they were actually absolutely gorgeous women. And they tried to find the best-looking women. And I'm like, well, why hide them? I put these big mustaches yeah, well, on them. Yeah, why do you need, uh, you know, ice beards? <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't quite make sense. Yeah, in fact, having a beard would be a big disadvantage in such a cold place. Well, 
Because the ice would stick to it. <laughs> Maybe it was an icicle beard. Yeah. yeah. I, that's kind of what they seemed like. I kind of liked their bubble wrap yes. collars. It was very, like, Shakespearean. <laughs> I, I really appreciated, you know, the, um, the actress's diligence with their keeping their fingers straight and pointy and moving. Oh, yeah, the spirit like, fingers. <laughs> yeah, lots of really intense spirit fingers. That's a, that's a clear cultural thing with the cryons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of information and non-verbals going on that were oh, yeah. over our heads. Yeah. <laughs> no. Totally. Although, for again, I was always looking at it from the standpoint of, like, culturally, we've all been taught this is evil, and long nails in this is all... And is, by this, he means waggling your fingers. Sorry, waggling your fingers <laughs> with long nails is, is an evil, like, gesture. So seeing that made me wonder, like, are you good? Are you, you gonna be good? I mean, they were in the end. I mean, they're they're been victimized by the Cybermen and everything else. Um, but I, they made it made me sus for a bit. <laughs> what, what, what kind of bugged me on it was like the temperature that that powder needed to be, mm-hmm. because like the doctor put that in the hallway for like five seconds and it exploded, mm-hmm. and that door was open with like Cybermen wandering through there for like several minutes before mm-hmm. anything else blew, and that just seemed weird. And also, do they have the world's best insulation or what? Like, oh god, yes. <laughs> no. Well, I just want to see how a species that is their home planet. Yeah, yeah, that's like what they. How 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 they evolved and can't live on the home planet. If I had to well, say, well, it seems like they they no, like they're dwellers under the surface. I imagine yeah. they they evolved in some sort of well, and they you know, created conditions. the refrigerations. Uh, uh, maybe they maybe they're all, they were at the poles and that's where they they evolved into and then they moved out. And that. maybe right, they expanded and they were able to go closer to the surface mm-hmm. or you know yeah. or, or maybe or it didn't used to be that hot. Oh, global warming. Global warming. Well, the, well, the Cybermen probably did heat it up for their own sake. Yeah, global warming. And maybe so. the, each of the doors have like a special insulative layer, just so that if you open a door and it's a too great of a temperature difference, it'll activate or something. But it just wasn't, you know, said or verbalized. I don't think it was thought through. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also the special effects of 1985 weren't exactly the greatest for BBC. I don't know. I thought the explosions were pretty decent, and and that and, and whole I thing with the, the guy, blood. The I thought the guy that we saw in the background the laying guy, down. He, he did um, a good job. Yeah, the smoke. He was doing well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there was one uh, crew member. I don't think you saw him, but uh, there's a crew member that is seen in one of the uh, scenes. Just for a <laughs> just, few frames. Yes, yeah. just like a, in a polo shirt in a casual negative twenty or below degrees. Just Maybe he was the secret author of the episode. That, there he is. That means Colin Baker did some really good act, cold acting right there. <laughs> well, also, I mean, like, because you were saying that it was actually really cold in the first scene when they were walking around outside, right? Yes, when Perry's out there, and yeah. Man, Perry is not wearing very nope. much clothing. Nope. Perry doesn't usually wear very much clothing. Yeah, but, it's, like, it being in, in that cold, I, and she was not, like, shivering yeah. or anything. She Even the Cybermen job. said, geez, this girl ain't wearing enough clothes. We have to, you know, put some on. <laughs> <laughs> very well put. I will say, I liked her, her second outfit, like, the, the red, like, jumper. Like, that was kind of... Yeah. It, it it was better than the pink one. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, it also seemed a little bit more modern, so I think that kind of gave it a little bit more of an edge. 
Um, it, most uh, Eric Sayward and or Robert Holmes stories from Doctor Who's past... Which this may or may not be. <laughs> um, ...usually have a dynamic duo, and in this case we had Stratton and Bates, who were the cybernetic um, half-breeds, I guess you could call them, that were escaping and trying to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> ...trying to steal this um, time machine. And that was an interesting duo. Uh, they were not the greatest duo, but I think they definitely had entertainment definitely value. Definitely a duo. Definitely a duo. Yeah, well, what about the the robotic policeman duo? Oh, yep. <laughs> that just walked around menacingly. <laughs> <laughs> that the doctor somehow actually managed to lie down one of them. Yeah, and you know what? If it, he was the third doctor, that would have been on-screen fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but still, that was a pretty good. No, uh, no, it was. I mean, Colin Baker actually did that kind of uh, jumping down the hole kind of thing. So. Well, and it also kind of it it had showed good like interaction with the Doctor and Perry of you know oh, he yeah. handled that one, she handled the other one. Yeah, that was actually reasonable. Perry kind of uh, got something accomplished. I want to talk about the Cybermen in this episode, coming from my twenty twenty three perspective, where. Yeah. You know, Cybermen's heads are flying off their bodies with laser drones, <laughs> and no, you know, Earth or, you know, other earthly weapons seems to penetrate any of their armor. Seemed like pretty weak sauce here when people are just kind of slapping them around, giving them a, a couple bullet shots. I mean... One guy hit him with a stick and his head came up. Yeah, I mean, the well, that was, no, that was the cybernetic guy. They, they were just not terrifying like they usually were. So, I think, like, the really terrifying element, too, is, like, them taking over humans and losing their humanity, and I feel like that was put into a corner. Too. Yeah, they were just like made into human slaves instead of Cybermen. Well, those are the reject ones, and that I thought was. In, I mean, hey, it's a way of using the defects to do work. I, I thought that was fine. Once I got that part, at first I was like, "What the heck? Why do they have? Why do they have slaves?" But it makes sense now. Um, I thought that yeah, these Cybermen were weird because they. They had to talk to each other. That that's what got to me was the fact that they're like they're communicating with each other, and I'm like, I, okay, I get it. They're trying to do the whole thing of we got the audience to know this stuff. Um, but yes, we see much more upgraded Cybermen, um, which have all have always come a long way from their bubble wrap uh, origins. Some of the dialogue between Cybermen uh, were was a bit chunky, too, and I think some of them weren't the greatest at delivering their lines, but I will give credit to the cyber leader played by David Banks. He, of course, was a cyber leader in The Five Doctors and Earthshock and a, and a few other Cybermen stories, and he actually has the voice for it. He's built into yeah. the role very well. I, I, I like that voice uh, to the Banks. I, I liked the Cyberman who was like, sounded like he was really overdoing the robot thing and also using a robot voice modulator. And, and had like <laughs> yes. a weird like kind of German uh, accent was sort of like uh, I don't know it just made it sound weird and muffled. Are we talking about the guy who I swear was trying not to do robot yeah. the entire time? Like he's like he's sitting there like the controller second hand. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's like sitting there and he's really trying to just do that robot stuff. I'm like, dude, 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 you're overselling. You're overselling. I think the scene between the Sixth Doctor and Flast um, is one of my favorite scenes in in most of the season, actually, because there's a lot of 
compassion from the sixth doctor for Flast, and he's actually checking in on her. He, he doesn't want anything to happen to her. Yeah, but he didn't mind her taking the fall and blowing up the planet. Or... Well, the doctor usually falls into that trap, but at the same time, he knew that there was not much he could do. She either goes out of the cell and dies, or she stays in and dies. But... You'd think they'd have some sort of, like, cold suit that they could use to keep themselves, you know... Mm-hmm air-conditioned. Yeah, I think they're a little strapped for resources down there. Well, yeah, the Cybermenum's kind of taken over, so... But somehow right. they hired someone outside with a bunch of diamonds, so they have means of... of <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> they have some signals, you know, yeah. it's different, too, than, like, creating, you know, refrigerated suits. You'd think they'd be stocked around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, why, why go up to the surface? Maybe they have no reason, really, to, and they're modern world. It could have introduced an interesting element if only a few of them had access to the suits, so only a few of them at a time could go anywhere. And it would also make sure that not too many of them were on screen at once, which the BBC being strapped for resources might have liked. Then. So I do want to go to the cops at the beginning. Because at first I'm like, huh, they're cops? Then Michael explains to me, don't worry, the robots. I'm like, ooh, we're gonna see some fun stuff going on here. <laughs> and then when they get in, they're basically just goofballs and get knocked, bonked around, and handcuffed. And like, they I, they weren't goofy about it. They were very serious when they got knocked around and handcuffed. <laughs> I've never seen a robot cop sulk so much of being handcuffed to a wall. Like, I okay. How well, many times have you seen a robot cop being cuffed? <laughs> <laughs> I would say duplicates probably a better way of saying it because if you know Daleks have duplicates later in the future, well, these are the this is the precursor to the New Who uh, Dalek um, duplicates. So I wait till you see Resurrection of the Daleks before you make too many judgments on the on these two cops because they were just kind of there just to make people or the Doctor kind of. So, oh, I recognize these guys from somewhere. <laughs> and Totter is lame at the same time, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. I am Foreman. And, and name-dropping a bunch of different characters to poor Perry. Uh, it was like, uh, I think he called out, like, Susan, Tegan, and uh, Jamie at one point. Before. Well, he did, just re- he did just regenerate. And I would like to point out that the crew that created the sign, I am Foreman, uh, Miss spelled Foreman compared to what it was spelled in the original. So that was not the greatest thing. And to be fair, the junkyard didn't even look like the junkyard it did back in 1963. But to, I guess the one thing is that obviously throughout time, 20 years later, there probably is going to be a slightly different uh, yeah, look to sense. the... Uh, yeah, actually, like, when, I, when, when I first looked at that, that shot my ass. No, that's not the same junkyard. That can't be. Not, that's what I thought in my head. Then he said, then you started hinting. I'm like, no, he can't be. It can't be that. Then it's like, it's that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it wouldn't. If, if that junkyard had the exact same junk in it that it had in the 60s, it would be any junkyard. <laughs> well, well what, it would have more junk now, is what I'm saying. What they could, what they probably would have done if it was shot modern day, is they would have reused the old footage of Totter's Lane, and then they would have faded to the new footage. Yeah, and that would have been a pretty cool. That footage. that would have been good to mm-hmm. do that, and uh, I think that would have. 
I don't know that they had the know-how to do that back then. Well, that, they would know how, that would be a very simple transition yeah. to do. They would know how to do that. But they did not. But I, I imagine more or less it would have been an issue of sourcing the film. Yeah. Also, and, it's probably hard to do that when no one's actually writing the story. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> also, like, they didn't... You know, reruns weren't hadn't been a thing for very long. Like when they <laughs> did the original ones, like they weren't thinking that and storing the videos and replaying them on TV. So they probably didn't expect people to have like just watched or maybe ever watched the you know first one. It was twenty years earlier. Yeah, but for those who get the reference, they get the reference. So no, I yeah, like so cool. One thing that was increased during this season um, was the violence level. They were actually, um, Doctor Who was put up against the A-teams. They wanted to actually kind of give that kind of younger boy crowd a little bit more to go on. With There the was a lot of blood with that one guy. Yeah. Like, like the, I don't normally see that in Doctor no, Who. No, that, that was actually, there was a public outcry, at least from some of the parents. Um, of course, some, a lot of the kids were like, ooh, that's cool looking. Uh, never seen that in Doctor That's probably Who. probably why the parents were upset. But but some of the old school Doctor Who fans also were like, okay, that's a little bit more than necessary. There's I mean, a lot of violent moments, though, too. I mean, Griffiths gets his head squished, the Doctor and, and Russell get like, hurt. We're, we're traumatized for breakfast. So you know, I, I feel like by the time we, we get into the 2020s, you know, like, it's just welcome. Yeah, I mean, like, can, can, I, can I be honest on this? Is that... I felt that, you know, there was so much violence in this that it was boring. Like, just, there there was just, like, it was just a lot of, like, action sequences with not a lot of story going on. I mean, there were, like, great action sequences, too. Like, I was seeing seeing the Cybermen fight, and it was, like, one kind of karate chat. It it looks like a slow R movement, (laughs) the tumbles over. It's like, what? I'm still, listen, let's just be real here. The fact that Cybermen can do anything with that eyesight... Just, yeah. Well, to be fair, the Cyberman that was swinging around like crazy uh, was the one that was in hibernation. So it was the not... other one that was battling it. It was not, you know, this was not True. a choreographed fight scene. This was this was throwing an arm slowly, and that took care of the problem. I think it was more it was... effective when they were down in the tunnels and the and the people were getting killed by the Cyberman because then you had a lot less of the. Oh no, no! When I watched him, when I watched him go like. <laughs> and I can see it just in the blurriness, like, it was this, and then the guy falls down, and then we're looking at the guy looking up, like, dude, walk it off. Like, yeah. I mean, at the time, I thought those were actually pretty spooky, just because they had, it was more dark, it was... Impressionable young Michael. I feel like there were, were was one good jump scare where the Cyberman was in the TARDIS and just came off from off screen. Oh yeah. But at the same time, it didn't make sense uh, because like it. How did they it. get there? I didn't even get <laughs> inside the TARDIS. I I can tell you. I'm just gonna give you a preview. An entire point was taken off for how the hell did they get in the TARDIS? I don't care. It's never no, no. Well, the other problem that a lot of people have is how are they actually shooting in the TARDIS? Because there's supposed to be a um, defense mechanism inside the TARDIS that well, doesn't that allow was weaponry. Well, obviously a clever lie, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Or it could no, be no, no. J- Jeremy's got it. In in let's kill Hitler. The doctor reveals that that's a clever lie. Oh, true, <laughs> true, true. Or the doctor could have just disengaged it. But it has been the case in previous stories and in future stories. Well, so. he was futzing around with the circuitry. Yes, and a lot he of was. Things, part of it fell off the walls, so that could have been that part. <laughs> good point. Good point. Those meddling time lords. 
just wrecking the tires all the time. Oh, that was a good scene, too, when the doctor oh, yeah. gets angry. Yeah, when he's like, wait a second, I was sent here, and you didn't give me a heads up? That was one of the best parts, is when he realized, wait, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was some good acting. Colin always had presents, so... Anyway, we should probably write this story. All right, so how about this episode? I think this was a fun romp through through Cyberworld, but I, I think a, a lot of missed opportunities, I think many of which we mentioned here, I think I'm always taken aback a little bit when I can imagine some better stories or better ways that things could have um, could have gone. Um, I come back to a lot of like the Cybermen in this story because I think what the true horror of the Cyberman is is really facing that situation of an upgrade, losing your own humanity, your emotion, um, that permanent damage. But it was really not spotlighted here, and in the same way where you might get that fear from the Cybermen of being like all-powerful, you can't do anything, I really felt like I could push these guys over you yeah. know, watching this episode and just run the other way and I'd be fine. Um, it didn't, And, you know, for the wide stakes of the Earth and... You know, Cybermen getting access to, to time in a really meaningful way, I just didn't feel like the pressure was on. But that being said, you know, it kept my attention the whole time. I had fun watching it, but I'm going to leave it with a 7 out of 10. All right. Well, for me, I, I would say, yes, there were a lot of missed opportunities, but a lot of the concepts were still pretty cool, like the, the circuit uh, malfunctioning, bringing about all sorts of new TARDISes. But I think the biggest missed opportunity was the cryogen people, because it was pretty interesting as a Cryons. concept. The cryons. Sorry. The cryons. Uh, I'm just making sure I didn't make that. It, it was uh, that people were sort of brought up in a, in a world that can't really be hospitable to them, so they had to adapt using technology. I thought that would have been cooler to explore, but it sort of fiddled around that in lieu of the... Um, the Cybermen, and I, I was a little confused on like what those green Cybermen were doing, because um, they just kind of randomly popped out and started attacking everyone, including the other Cybermen, but um, with that being said, I'd say I'd re- rate it slightly higher, as a bit like a 7.3 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> that is very slightly higher. <laughs> so, like, this one had, a, again, it, a lot of missed opportunities. It had a lot of fun elements to play with, but when when you realize reject uh, Cybermen are kind of more agile and mobile and functional than the full upgraded Cybermen, I was annoyed about that. Again, also they they had problems with their head attachments. That that's immediately another issue. I don't know, like. Every time I think it's it's going, it's really good, I can find another, another issue. Not in a nitpicking way, but the, this TARDIS being able to just walk into was kind of a bummer. And uh, I think this was the one where the, what were they called, the stealth uh, Cybermen or the nin-like stuff the like black that. Black ones. I, I was going to call them the Ninja Cybermen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a cooler name. They should have taken it, but it's mine now, trademark. Um, <laughs> so... The, those Cybermen, I felt like I wanted to see more use of them and them to be more utilized. Like, there was a lot of things that were played with here that were brought in. Right. Overall, though, I do think the character... I do think characters were played well. Perry did a 
considering I've not had a very great track record with Perry most of the time. This is my actually I think one of my favorite episodes with her. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Baker did a good job, especially with the fact of being so. How should we say? Prickly. No, like in like eccentric. Yes, this was actually properly eccentric. Like getting there's this episode with it with every new doctor where they're getting used to their own skin, and this felt it. Like he he nailed the regeneration like mind uh, haze. Like, and actually, I love the calling Perry every name under the sun <laughs> but her own. Like that was fun, um, but like. All with all those elements, it just it never could stick the landing on any on anything really, except well no even then like we're, we went over the how temperature changes and how something can be combustible in the heartbeat versus the other time it took forever. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things, and I understand it's plot convenience. But when plot convenience takes you out of the story a little bit, it becomes an issue. So about a seven for me as well. All right. Yeah. Um, one thing I forgot to mention earlier on it is we always see the doctor with the Cybermen. And even in, at one point in this story where the Cybermen are all like, emotions are negative, they're a drawback, they're dragging you down. And the doctor's all like, no, emotions make you stronger. But at some point during this episode, the doctor's like, oh, the Cybermen's only weakness is that they respond to the fellow Cybermen who are in distress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty weird. But um, yeah, so I think a lot of... Uh, everything to say about this has been said like there were a lot of really good elements but they just didn't come together well it was more like all the elements of the story were like the doctor's brain all like ground beef they were all they were all there but mixed up and not quite working <laughs> um i'm gonna give this one a six Oh, wow, okay. Well, you guys are pretty solid in your scoring so far. Michael's about to break the curve. I know. <laughs> Perry's in it. Perry is in it, and Perry is one of my favorites. Uh, this story, um, I will have to say, I think the first episode for this story is actually far superior than the second. Um, I think too many Cybermen do very little in the second half of this story. I think it's more they're more menacing and they it, it's a more of a intriguing episode because you've got a lot of really cool elements with the first of all the bank heist that they're supposed to be doing and then finally Lytton's it being like, oh nope, sorry, <laughs> we're doing something else here. Um, you set up a lot of really good characters and in the second half you basically kill them all off. And that was one of the issues that I ha- that I had with it was that there was no redemption for anybody. And granted, the whole Lytton idea was really well done. I think the whole Sixth Doctor going on that, that character arc mm-hmm. with yeah. Lytton was well done. And I think that was, from beginning to end, that was probably the best part of it. Um, I think they're definite- they definitely had fun making this story. That was quite obvious. And I think there were definitely a lot of fun elements. I don't think it was necessarily as discombobulated as all of you are saying. I think it pretty much had a beginning, a middle, and an end. I just think that the end probably could have been worked slightly differently um, with some of the ideas that you all had. And I think that it would have, I think it would have been improved upon. I think it's a pretty solid story. It was definitely far better than what the the previous 
story had been. I'm going to also actually give this... A, I'm probably going to give this a 7.5. It's really not... It's solid enough to, to like it, but I wouldn't put it in the greatest Doctor Who stories of all time. So I'll leave it there. And basically kind of almost what everybody else gave. So not changing the curve too much. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm surprised, yeah. <laughs> well, this one, when I was younger, I really... I love the first episode because there's a lot more film done and, of course, the changing of the TARDIS and the outdoor stuff on Telos. And it just had a very different feel. In the second episode, you almost revert that back to more classic Doctor Who interior sets that aren't quite as good as they could be. Um, The smoke machines are fine. (laughs) Thank you to that one extra. Um, (laughs) But, no, I'm just saying there were certain elements that didn't quite didn't quite make it feel like it was the same story. It was almost like it was two separate stories in two different episodes. And it had a very different feel from episode to episode. And I think that's what kind of made... And granted, I actually saw it in movie format, so there really wasn't any episodes. It was just one long movie. Um, But again, there was no transition between the first and the second section of it. Um, it was just kind of like, okay, we're on Telos now and uh, forget about everything on Earth. I think if they had kind of, I don't know, worked like two different angles, the people on Earth and the people on Telos, and trying to get something that would that could, they could do on Earth that would help affect the people on Telos, that might have been a little bit more interesting. Uh, it would have given more credence to Lytton be on Earth, being on Earth in the first place. I mean, he could have just gotten... Well, he was on Earth on the first place anyway, so that makes sense. Anyway, um, but yeah, it, it's one of those stories. It's kind of uh, got... It's a mixed bag for Doctor Who fans. A lot of fans love it, love the action sequences, thought it was kind of fun. Cops and robbers, guns a-blazing. Even the Doctor holds a gun and shoots it in this one. Granted, he's shooting it at a Cyberman, so it's not quite... Um, a living emotional being, but it's still it's still an enti- living entity that the doctor would not normally shoot guns at. So, I guess in that circumstance, he kind of had no other choice, either be kill or be killed, kind of thing. He always finds a way to get our choice. <laughs> well. Uh. All right. So before we uh, say goodbye, I have a very exciting announcement. Oh yes. Um, uh, I published my first novel. Woo! What's it, it called? It's called The Lord of Darkness. It's by Shelby Cotty Sweeney. You can find it on Amazon Kindle. And, uh, yeah, please take a look and let me know what you think on that. I, I, I think you should all take a look. I, I definitely... I've read it, and it's very good. It is a pseudo-religious sci-fi fantasy dramedy intertwined with an epic love story across time, space, and reality. Uh, Neil Gaiman would probably like this one. That's my thought. <laughs> any rate, um, have a great night, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.